0: Hey, what's going on guys? Welcome to today's episode. Today, we have CJ Callio with WNN Properties. CJ, welcome to the show.
1: Yeah, thanks for having
0: me on, John. Absolute pleasure. So I want to start off the podcast like I start every podcast with a description of who you are, what you do, and how you got there.
1: Yeah, my story as a real estate investor professional starts about nine and a half years ago. And prior to investing in real estate, I was a UPS driver. And in that profession, I was comfortable, you know, good union paying job, um, good hours, consistent work, benefits, medical, all the good stuff. And I was content in life until this one particular time of year that UPS drivers love, maybe sarcastically love, is Christmas. Mm-hmm. Well, this particular Christmas, we were blown up. We had so much delivery, so much packages to go out that we found ourselves working six, seven days a week. I was coming home when my kids and my wife were sleeping. I was leaving when they were gone. And I, I didn't see them for about four months. And at that time, I something clicked in my head. I was like, is this really what I, I'm going to do for the next 30 to 40 years of my life? And I started to ponder and question, there's got to be more out there for me to be able to make a living. And uh, through the depression, the anger, the frustration of not seeing loved ones to a precious time of year called Christmas – after all was said and done, I approached my wife and I said, look, I'd like to, I'd like to leave. And she gave me a response. I wasn't expecting. She said, okay, with one question I got for you, how are you going to replace your income? And being all emotional and all caught up in, in what just happened in this season of UPS, I didn't have a good response for her. I was clueless. (laughs) And the funny thing is, is she was feeling the same stress and depression and anxiety of me not being around and with her and the kids that she started looking into options that could solve this problem. And the thing she came across was buying real estate for cash flow. Well, being the loving, supportive husband that just had a wife jump on board with my plan to leave, I said, no. And I look back now and a lot of it was around pride and fear, not knowing what I don't know, not having an understanding of what real estate entails, there's just so much to real estate that it was just overwhelming. My pride and ego came in the way of my biggest supporter, my wife. And I said, no, no, thank you. So I, I politely said, you go do real estate and I'm going to go figure something else out. I go on my merry way. I start creating these startup businesses, things that I believe I am capable of. Everything revolved around me and what I had skill set wise. I started a bunch of businesses and like most startups didn't pan out. I actually lost money. I I spent more time and more stress and more frustration around um, my situation, the lack of progress to, to the point about six, nine months in, I humbled myself because my wife was still following and looking into and ready to pull the trigger on real estate. And here I am backstepping from my goal of moving forward. So I told her one day, I was like, you know what? Obviously, what I'm doing isn't working. Let me let me jump on board with you. So she started taking me to a bunch of these real estate networking meetups and you know, me still being in that mindset around, I don't know what I don't know, and I need this ego and pride. Like I've got it all together. I was that husband in the back of the room, crossed arms, like, don't, don't approach me at a networking event, which is opposite of the point, while my wife is all out there socializing. And the funny thing is about being in network and surrounding yourself with people who are doing what you wanna do and have what you wanna have, my my walls, my defensiveness, my thoughts of it needing to look a certain way started to subside and, and wash away, where I became interested. I started hearing things and picking up on the lingo. I started noticing people were mentioning things that we were looking to do and were successful at it. And they were even sharing times that it didn't quite work out and why they're still doing it. And it just piqued my interest because this is now becoming normal. I was becoming associated with this normality that real, real estate investing is a real thing. Lo and behold, a few months later, I was the one in front of the room speaking and shouting and, and talking about testimony about real estate because we pulled the trigger on our first deal and we didn't look back since. And since then, nine years later, we've amassed a large enough portfolio where me and my wife are both financially independent and we do this real estate stuff because we love it.
0: I'm not gonna lie, the first half of your story, I was about to say, no need to continue the podcast. Where do I get a UPS application? Right. And then, and then you did the curve and I'm like, okay, I'm staying where I am. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> it's like, it sounded so good. I'm like, Ooh, okay. You know what you mean? I don't have to be stressed out every day. I don't have to uh, worry about, uh, you know, all these phone calls of people trying to sell me stuff. Cause I can have a job. I can get paid. And get that income. And you know what? It's great. Christmas time comes around. And it's like, oh, that's where it turned. Oh, damn. (laughs) Yeah, no, I get it. I totally get that. I mean, I've tried the job thing myself. And uh, I think with the exception of when I was in high school, we're going to take that, uh, you know, my young days, you know, out. Take out the high school part and, the, you know, all that. And go from the point of graduation and on. I think the longest job I've had was four months. Wow, so uh, clearly I'm not a fan. <laughs> <laughs> There's
1: more out there for you.
0: Yeah, exactly, right. So, and I believe you get what you put in. Yes. So, and I love the fact that you found uh, something that intrigued you. Well, in this case, your wife found something that intrigued you, and uh, <laughs> she, uh, in a sense, indirectly knocked the sense into you. And uh, <laughs> but yeah, it was good. What, sure. what 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 I find commendable is that you got out there. And even, you know, you you didn't just jump on the first thing and just went with it. You kind of tried other stuff and then said, okay, now I got it. So because most people sometimes what ends up happening is the hardest part, let's be honest, the hardest part is getting your wife on board when you say, I want to quit. Right. Right. Like that's, that's, as you said, that was not the answer you were expecting. (laughs) Yeah. Right. So at that point in time, sometimes a lot of people would just say, okay, well, she's on board with me quitting, but this is what she wants to do. Well, it's better than what I was doing. So maybe I'll just jump on board to avoid friction. You didn't right. do that. You said, no, no, no. I got to try my way. Yeah. Right. And then, yeah, you, because if you had just jumped, what could have happened is you build up resentment because you didn't try and your exactly. mind goes, I could have done this. I could have done that. And you might've, but now that you got to try, you got out of your system, you found a better path and now you guys are living the life you were hoping for. Yes. So that's the ultimate, uh, that is the American dream. Let's be honest. Right. So good for you. Kate, kudos for you on that one. Oh, thank you. <laughs> so going into the whole uh, real estate investing and stuff, what? does your portfolio consist of like what what interests you i mean because some people are into single family homes some people are into condos other people want multi-residential now some people when they get into multi-residential they don't want more than five units at a time some people want 300 units um other people are into uh, storage space commercial you know everyone has a different flavor different thing that jives some people get into the hotel business because it gives them the business and the real estate portfolio so right. everyone's different what floats your boat
1: well, we we originally started with single family, long-term rentals uh, for cash flow. That was our focus to replace that income. And we got really good at it for the first four or five years. We amassed a very large portfolio. And I like to use the analogy like monopoly, right? You got to go around and you, you get to buy these properties. And after you buy these properties, you have these greenhouses. Well, eventually you run out of room for these greenhouses. And what do you do next? You trade them in for a red hotel. So what we've done is we built and got really good at residential long long-term holds. And now we're transitioning more into commercial space, traditional commercial, like office, retail, medical, government buildings. And we're taking those greenhouses and doing exactly that, trading them in for red hotels. So now we've amassed a pretty good sized commercial real estate portfolio from our single family homes. Now I'll, I'll play in both sides, wherever the numbers and the deals make sense, I'll play. And my focus currently right now is commercial.
0: Makes sense. So why to switch to commercial? Why do you like commercial?
1: I like commercial because of what the longer leases and you're dealing with businesses and you're, you're, you're more mathematically sound, I would say for the asset, because you're not fluctuating necessarily solely on market fluctuation, right? It's all performance based. So if the asset's performing, it's strong. If the asset isn't, it's weak. And it's, it's, it's a math, math equation. Running it against the, the NOI net operating income against the cap rate. And all of a sudden you have the, the the value of the asset and if you don't like it well what do you want to do to change that to make it better and and it's to me it's simplified a lot more simplified than what residential can be
0: see i'm not gonna lie we're polar opposites here and i don't mean that in a negative way yeah um like i'll give you an example i understand the mathematical parts of uh, commercial as in i understand the fundamentals of it i just don't think it makes any sense and that's sure. just because I have trouble wrapping my head around it. It doesn't mean it's wrong. right? Um, and here's what I mean. You take a Starbucks, you take that location, you put up uh, two bedrooms, two bathrooms, you uh, put in a living room and a family thing and just say that thing's worth $1.5 Now what you do is take that same building, change the zoning, knock down all those walls, put in a front counter, put in a kitchen, put in some chairs for people to sit in, and that uh what did I say it was a million dollar valuation last time? Just say I said a million, right? Just to make it easier. And now some of that million dollars is worth five million. It's the same frigging square footage. Yeah. Like to me, I, and here's my theory, right? It, I know what happens is when you get into cap rates and NOI and all that, you're you're also your the lease is including the tenant's income where there is no income from a residential, it's just comparables, right. right? And for me, I've always had that thing that. I'm the one creating the business. I I went and took the risk. You know, if you want your ten thousand dollars a month for rent, here's your ten thousand dollars a month. Here's a ten thousand. Get lost. Leave me alone. But it doesn't really work that way. Um, and 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 then you take a piece of the business, and I'm like, why should I be sharing my profits with you? Screw you, right? That's what I have it in my head, right? I'm thinking, you know, if I lose, are you going to redu- reduce the rent? No, the argument's going to be the the base rent is your reduced rent, and we're only taking more if you're making more. That's the theory. But I have trouble wrapping my head around that. So because of that, it doesn't make sense to me, and I don't understand it. And as sure. a realtor, I avoid it. Sure. But it's not necessarily mean again, there's no wrong. That's just how I wrap my head around it, right? So yeah, <laughs> um, it's just I, different. yeah, exactly. So that's why I'm fascinated with what you're doing because maybe it's a different angle that I'm not seeing. Yeah. So um, I like I'll be honest, I like uh, I like commercial space in terms of apartment buildings. Right, it's still considered you know commercial, it's over five units. Um, that I understand because when you take the housing part, I still understand it. It's when right. again, what it boils down to is when you take out the house, you know, part of it, I start going, huh? <laughs> right. So, um, but that's cool, that's fascinating. Um, see, I find residential the safer route as well. Mm-hmm. And my reasoning is that everyone needs a home. Sure. Now now, it doesn't mean everyone can pay for the home. It just means everyone needs it. Where right. commercial, the, what I do like about commercial is it doesn't have landlord laws. Someone doesn't pay the rent, 10 days get lost. It's really that simple, right? So, um, and I'm not saying it's being that cruel is the right way to do it. But at the same time, we all got bills to pay. And if exactly. someone's not paying theirs, not exactly gonna, you know, get bounced because they're not paying yours, <laughs> Right so I get that. So anyways, going into it, I mean it's fascinating that you got into the commercial you want to switch over. Now everyone wants to do the single family home when they start off, right? Cuz hey, I bought my house, it's an investment, which I think you're going to agree on this when the house you live in is a liability, not an investment. Yes. It, I'll give people an, it's an asset, yes, but it costs you money and it doesn't generate money. So, with that being said, it's not till you get to your second one where it's considered that an investment. Now, and I agree this is the risky part because you have one single family home and they don't pay. You have no rent. Yep. Right. Why did you choose the single family home first? Like, why didn't you just jump into multi-res or commercial?
1: Yeah, I believe a proof of concept and progression. Like, you get to, you, you get to start off somewhere and why not start off somewhere that it's easily, it's an easy exit is what I call it. Right. Single family home. I bought a primary residence, so it's a single family home. I go for an investment. It doesn't quite work out. I can exit simpler to a large market of buyers versus going into a commercial asset where you're specifically looking for a business owner, occupant and or an investor. I mean, that, it's really your, your pool of buyers. So it, 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 w- small, it makes a, the buying pool smaller versus yes. when I'm in a single family home. I have a lot of different ways to part ways from a Asset that may not fit me, or it's not a strategy I really like.
0: Yeah, it makes sense. See, so I also see single-family home as a product for the banks, where I see the multi-residential, the actual investment property. Again, like you said, progression. I didn't think like this all the time, um, but there's an uh, there's an adjustment here. Oh, before I get into the adjustment, I'll come back to that. Going into commercial, like office spaces and stuff, and industrial. Mm-hmm. With uh, the fad now being that everybody wants to work from home Mm -hmm. and people are rebelling the whole idea of going back to work. Does this concern you at all?
1: No. And it's, it's one of those things that you're, it's very market specific. So it depends where you're investing And in our particular investment location. We we were monitoring what was happening. COVID kind of gave us a, a big confirmation. We were in the right area of investing. We weren't looking into these huge office buildings. We're looking into the, more of the strip malls, the smaller retail space where what happened was when they downsized because people were mobile working, they downsized into our spaces. We gotcha. didn't buy those large buildings. And we found ourselves in the sweet spot where the, those large corporations that had 100, 100 offices needed only 10. Well, that's what we served, 10. So they fell right into where we are at. And we're monitoring it just like how you monitor housing markets you're going to see where the demand is and where the supply is and where there's excess of and you you want to be aware of all this and you're running your projections your calculations your analyticals and you're making those educated informed guesses and really you get to pull the trigger to create a result to see if you're right or wrong
0: yes 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 exactly that um so now i'm going to go back to my question is that in terms of finances how did you transform right like Mm -hmm. like even you, you quit your job and then you got into real estate investing, single family home. So the fact that you don't have an income and getting investment uh, property is kind of a miracle in itself. But you're now going to a new level. You're right. So how did you do? You know, accomplish that? What was the process?
1: It, the process was creating and establishing new relationships and network, finding the people that the whos. We like the Dan Sullivan book, Who Not How. Finding those whos. That. That can that that our experts in and can solve our problem. Every, everything we do in real estate, I believe, is a problem solving opportunity. When you can find a solution, you create the reward. And if I can create the reward, now I can move. And for us moving to commercial, part of the perks was is they take less into consideration my personal income, and a lot more is leveraged towards the asset and its performance. So I'm leveraging now what I'm buying as my security per se for the lender versus. Me needing that W 2 that consistent paycheck, the two years of tax returns, I still may need to produce a personal financial statement. However, they're wanting to see what the asset's doing. Is it cash flowing? Is it making sense? How strong is the tenant base? How long are the leases? So the attention's less on me and it's more on them, which allows me to continue to buy consistently. And I have yet to reach a cap on commercial lo- loan products versus when I was in the residential space, you typically get 10 per person right? Including your Mm -hmm. primary home before you become unqualified in some fashion where you get to get creative around finding new ways of finance.
0: Yeah, exactly. That's what that's the other part of uh, residential, you know, single family homes. Um, 10 is actually pretty good. I think where I am and they don't they stop after five, which makes it even harder.
1: Seven here. They stopped at seven for me.
0: See, there you go. Right. So yeah, commercial is uh, has unlimited potential. I love that. now, in terms of your portfolio, what, like when you're looking for investments, are you is it just you and your wife doing it or do you guys have joint ventures with people involved in any form of syndication?
1: We we primarily focus on buying ourselves. Um, we like to own or operate our portfolio. It's what we enjoy, it's our become our business and our our focus. And we will partner every now and then with a person we feel we, we can work with well. And we view partnerships like marriage. It's got to be for the long term. It's not one of these things like it feels good today and we're breaking up tomorrow. That doesn't work for us. So we're very strict on how partnerships look like. And they usually come from our our internal community.
0: Yeah, which makes sense, right? Like, let's be honest, Uh, for a real estate transaction to work and to truly be profitable after fees, after expenses, after everything. I think there's a seven to 10 year window that you need to have it. Otherwise, you're uh, really at risk. I agree. Love that. So um, now managing the properties, do you guys like, how do you, you know, cause now you're starting to build a really big portfolio. Um, are you still doing it yourself or do you have a, a management company or is it a combination?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, from the start, we've always leveraged a who back to the Dan Sullivan book. We always found the expert in and we, we manage our teams is what we like to call ourselves. So we'll, 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 interject and put into play certain team members that we feel are best fit for our assets. And they're not always the same team member for a a similar asset. It could be variation of location. And in in the context of commercial, it could be tenant base office manager or a property manager that focuses and specializes in office may not do as well in retail or in restaurant and, or in medical, you know, so knowing the right team members and putting the right people into play I believe contributes a large part to our success and our continuation and growth.
0: Right. Which makes sense. I love that. Um, In terms of cap rate, uh, everywhere is different and there's different cap rates out there. Now, every investor also has different uh, tolerance levels. Yeah. What is your target cap rate and what cap rate would you say? uh, If it was that I wouldn't do it or I'd be very hesitant.
1: Right. So for, for us, we like to value add. Everything we do is a value add play. We want to get a return of our investment money quicker then we can go and do more deals because we got it back faster. So our cap rate we like to buy at is between a nine and a 10 cap. And the ones that we stay away from are on the lower sides of the six and the sevens because it, it really affects our cash flow ability and there's usually no value add play to that.
0: Interesting. That That's a very good point. I never... uh I didn't see it that way i mean i i'm used to hearing that uh average cap rate out there that people are fine with is around six um i usually find the ones that people walk away from around the uh, two to four and yeah and and that's uh understandable in terms of why i mean when it comes to a point where you a gic almost pays the same as your investment it's almost not worth it <laughs> so we always want to
1: make our investments worth it
0: yeah exactly how do you find properties like 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 there's got to be certain criteria so what would your criteria be and how do you decide where uh you know what location suits your needs
1: right so our team members are well vast in our buy box we like to always give our team members buy box every season our buy box changes our liquidity our capital our lendability whatever it needs to look like changes so we update our buy box every six months give or take and we have our commercial real estate agents acquisition agents out there just filtering through deals and what we found works really well for us is the proof of concept that we're real investors that will close so the more deals we close our our name our uh, our team members have more credibility where we're getting a lot of deals pre-market to our team knowing that hey if your guy's serious here's where we're at would they be interested? And we have that conversation. So a lot of our most recent deals are direct from listing agent to our agent prior to it hitting MLS because they know these guys close and having that understanding that we know our numbers and we're not gonna dick you around. However, you may not like our numbers and we'll produce fact to why our numbers are the numbers, and everything we 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 work with with our team is factual based. So if you're saying this is your PL, but you're missing property management because you self-manage and I'm an out-of-state investor who leverages a manager. I'm going to make sure my number has that property management fee. No different than if I choose to run a vacancy contingency and you choose not to. Well, if your building's 80% occupied, there's 20% vacancy. I'm going to take into consideration the vacancy. So back to the facts. If you're giving me this information and it's not quite accurate to the way I would run it, here's how I would run it. And this is why I came
0: up with this number. That makes sense. Love that. Now, so obviously you use brokers, right? So that's awesome. Uh, I think that's always the uh, best way to do it. Now you mentioned the, uh, before it hits the market, right? So I'm guessing a lot of the properties you got was uh, off market.
1: Pre, pre listings. So they want to see if we're serious and what our numbers look like before they throw it up there and we give them feedback and I'm not hurt if they don't take it. I'm letting them know, you know, if other investors may see it this way too, if you really want a a serious shot at, at offloading now, here's where I'm at.
0: Gotcha. Yeah. So that makes sense. Uh, Sometimes, you know, you hear the things like, Oh, you got to get stuff from the MLS and blah, 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 blah. And uh, then there's also that other side where people say, Oh, you know, go knock on doors because uh, you want to get it before they hit the broker, because then you're going to get the best deal. And uh, I think the, uh, I, I think Both sides are wrong. Um, And what I mean by that, you're not going to get the best deal when it's on the MLS already because they're trying to strive for the highest amount and they're trying to get people to fight for it. Right. Now, if you're a seller and someone's knocking on your door, well, why don't they want you to get your realtor? Because they're going to lowball you. Right. So in terms of an investor, I think both sides are a loss. Right. Right. Not always impossible. Sometimes there's deals out there. Don't get me wrong. I mean, sometimes there's stuff that's fair for both. But I'm going, if you look at the the actual objective, what I said was accurate because that's the yeah. objective. Yeah. So with that being said, so now when you work with an accurate broker, it's easier, like with a broker, and, the, and you get them before they list. Sometimes it's just a matter of finding a deal that works for everybody where everyone's happy. Seller may not get the highest they possibly could have got. You might not pay the lowest; you might have found, but it's a fair deal where everyone leaves feeling good about it. Mm. Yeah. So, and which one is- thing
1: that you brought up was about you know finding that great deal. In what I like to tell others is, I create the great deal. It doesn't always start off as that. Oh my goodness, this is like the the diamond in the rough. It it's the one that was sitting for three years and nobody wanted to buy it. I just had the passion and persistence to work the deal to the point where it made sense. Like you said, we walk away, everybody gets something in their favor. And I, I create, I like to think I create these deals by curiosity and thinking differently than other people so that I can find a way to get it to close where the seller feels like they made something and I'm walking away with an asset that I'm good with.
0: Absolutely. And another thing you, you brought up or I'm obviously sensing is that uh, you t- You got the most important part of real estate is never buy with emotion, mm-hmm. buy with numbers. Yep. Yeah. Because too many people get emotional over this stuff and it's like, there is no room for emotions here. It's not, it's the numbers work or they don't. It doesn't matter how you feel. You yes. can feel great about something, but the numbers are the worst numbers you found. You're still going right. in the hole. It doesn't matter that you felt good.
1: Yeah. And we call that working within your ranges. So you obviously have your target, but you get to have flexibility above and below where you want to go. So if it falls anywhere in that range, you should be doing the deal. And that way you eliminate the, well, I wanted it for a hundred thousand. Well, if they come in and they're willing to take it for one Oh five, are you going to lose a deal for five K is it, is it worth losing the deal? Or you want to really add another property to your portfolio and vice versa. If you get it for 95, you're like, let's close why not? Your number was a hundred.
0: Yeah. Well, even there, like you said, one Oh five. I mean, look, typical average uh, real estate is about 10 years. So we're talking about a a difference of $500 a year. Now, if you don't think you can value add to compensate for $500 a year, then maybe what you're doing is what you should analyze. Right. So, um, yeah. So with that being said now, There's a lot of people there, like you're obviously experienced. You have a lot of, uh, you know, time in the market to uh, get to know this stuff. And someone starting up who watches this interview isn't going to go up to uh, some building and say, hey, I'm a serious real estate investor. Sell me your property. I want to do it. And then they're just going to watch the video step by step what we said and go out in there and match it. That's not going to happen. Obviously, there was a learning curve. So. What would your advice be to someone who is just mesmerized with real estate and just wants to get in the market but doesn't know how to start?
1: Yeah, a few pointers are to really pick a strategy in real estate. There's just so many ways to make money and to get financially independent in real estate. You get to find the lane you feel is best fit for your goal. An example would be my story. I chose to want to leave UPS, which meant I get to replace that paycheck I was getting consistently. And for me, cash flow with buy and hold long-term rentals provided the best possible solution for my problem now once i understand that it's now getting into the space of network finding the like-minded people who are doing what you want to do and have what you want to have and getting you informed and educated and another thing would be is to find a mentor I and mean, people get cost-minded around mentorship. However, when somebody's got the experience, somebody's already got the established team and network, there's a lot of value to that, and it can essentially cut down on the time it'll take for you to achieve what they achieved. So some people want to do what we do. Four years is what it took for me and my wife to get there. We're seeing people do it in three and in two years simply by finding value in joining a community or network or finding mentors that have what you want to have and are doing what you want to do.
0: Yeah, there you go. Right. So exactly. Mentors are a good thing. Networking. Yeah. So it's always who not how everyone wants to focus on how Um, I read that book. uh, I just actually finished reading that book last week. Um, (laughs) So, but it it is so accurate, right? When people sit around trying to do everything by themselves, then really you're uh, not going to get there. Not to the levels you want. If you want to scale, it's going to be about having about the people you surround yourself with. Yeah. So, yeah, I absolutely love that. Absolutely agree. And then I, I, again, going with the mentor, sometimes there's a cost and you know what? You get what you pay for in life. Mm-hmm. Like you look at it and say, it's too expensive. Well, you know, is achieving your goals too expensive? Right. I mean, have you given up before you started? Right. Because like, reality is like, what is that worth? Like, what is your dream worth to you? Right. Like, you know, people go to the store. They go out there grab these iphones you know what i mean they'll spend uh they're not like what twenty five hundred dollars and uh you know that's not too expensive we used to pay four hundred dollars for phones so how do you how does apple get the twenty five hundred because they found a way to provide value yes. so your dream is worth something getting there is worth something now How long will it take for you to do it by yourself versus you doing it with somebody else who's mentoring you and you speed up the process? What's the value of that? Now that number is different for everybody. Exactly. So love that answer. Um, With that being said, I'm sure everything wasn't, uh, you know, all um, smooth for lack of a better description. I'm sure you've had some turbulent times. What was one of those moments where, you might have even just questioned what you were doing.
1: Ooh, yeah. The first thing that comes to mind is um, my greatest lesson learned. I, I choose to redefine failure to lessons. And my greatest lesson learned was trusting, but not verifying. And it's something that we preach a lot to our community. It's you, you get to trust and verify everybody. It doesn't matter if it's me. It doesn't matter if it's our recommended people or team members, you're going to go and want to verify that. So you have a peace of mind and you can operate from ownership in our story where I chose only to trust and not verify was from a a seasoned real estate investor who was doing what we do and had what we want to have, introduced us to a a property manager, which is very important for people like us who do out of state real estate investing, where you get to leverage a lot on team members. On this particular situation, we bought 20 something doors all at once, single family homes and mixture of duplexes. And we didn't have a property manager that we we liked. So we asked this person for a referral. We got the referral and we totally just trusted this person. Now he worked well with our real estate investor friend who referred us to him. However, he didn't have the same alignment to our vision and goals that we wanted for our portfolio and how our portfolio we wanted our portfolio to be run. Well, we trusted them, moved everything over 20-something doors. And initially the first six months were going well until it wasn't. And what came to be was the type of communication style and the exit strategy that this property manager thought we wanted versus how we wanted our portfolio to look in the future where we were in conflict, which then led to resistance and resentment and retaliation in a sense of not responding. And we found ourselves in a position where we got to fire a property manager that was well-known and trusted by our successful real estate friend, because we chose not to verify. And what I mean by verify is simply having those intimate, uncomfortable conversations up front and laying it all out. Are you in alignment to my vision and goals? What do you see for your vision and goals so that I can make sure I'm supporting you? So we're running this path together alongside one another. We were doing this. And we were causing stress and tension because we simply didn't want to have that uncomfortable conversation early. And we got to have an even more uncomfortable conversation when we chose to let that person go and then put ourselves in a position of we didn't have anybody to fall back to. And we were scrambling. But that was the biggest lesson learned for us in that season where we started to contemplate. Are we do we still want to do this? We, we lost a very solid referral because they didn't see things our way. We self-reflected, took note of, and decided to make a return on this lesson, and it produced dividends for, it's still producing dividends for us.
0: Yeah. See, you brought up a good point though, right? To avoid an uncomfortable situation, you had to have a more uncomfortable one later. right. So, except you could have saved a lot of turmoil if you had the first one. Yes. So yeah and I think everybody goes through that cuz nobody wants to have those conversations, you know, that start off with well, we're unhappy with. <laughs> right. right. So everyone wants the uh roses and petals and <laughs> right. But uh, you know, nothing nothing of value is created without any form of uh turbulence. Yeah. So now on the same token, there must have been a uh, happy story where You know you were expecting a certain thing and something went so much better that you're like man we should have started this sooner we are exactly where we're supposed to be right what was that story for you
1: that was the commercial pivot it was going from single family homes and breaking the limiting beliefs that i was capable wasn't capable of stepping into this big space that i thought was a a, a mount everest if i were to use a visualization It's like, how do I get from these greens to the Everest? And when I shifted from the how to what do I want? Well, I want to scale. Okay. Who do you get to be to scale? And I figured out it was a lot more in here that I got to work on than the actual product or deals out there in commercial that I thought I didn't understand. A lot of it translated over. And the cool thing is, is being good at, great at residential in 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 our market already built credibility and leveraged. we leveraged that to create our commercial team very quickly because they took notice that we were already active in the residential and they wanted to work with us in the commercial and just having that smooth transition over by simply continuing to do what we said we do, which is do deals.
0: Yeah, exactly. So how many deals per year do you do roughly? Like, do you have a target? Like, I know you don't wake up and say, "Mm, okay, 2023, we're going to do 400 homes this year. What are we doing next year? No, no, I know that doesn't work, right? Sometimes it's a matter of finding the deals, but we generally have goals of what we want to see each year, right? So year turn's over, get fresh into the new year. How do you determine what your goal is for that year?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. So a lot of people I know like to fixate on doors and properties acquired. Me and my wife are very fixated on how much increase of cash flow are we going to shoot for the upcoming year. And we will always want to project out based off of our, our new lifestyle and where we want to be in the very near future. So one of our, our goals in our 10-year vision is to be living off of 10% and donating 90% of our, our revenue. And what we want to fixate on is not only making more, but keeping more. So sometimes there's a pause in growth for us to stabilize our portfolio so we can move up the amount of money we keep versus just simply make more but still net the same amount, right? Uh, so year over year, we're reassessing where we're at cash flow-wise and where we want to be at to hit our projection and our target goal. One of our goals for the 10-year mark is to be able to write a million-dollar check simply because we can to, uh a charitable organization or uh, something that we believe in, that we can just simply, hey, here's a million dollars, we're good.
0: Now let me ask you something. Why is that important to you?
1: Always wanting to be able to give back. Um, you know, a lot of people set things up for me who who laid the foundation for me ahead that we're charitable, that we're giving, that we're allowing us to. To be able to step into a safe space to learn and grow it i come from a, a not a wealthy background right my parents were working multiple jobs just to make ends meet um they unfortunately separated at an early age and i had all these support systems in play for me to be to be taken care of while you know life hit and i i believe that to better this generation i get to work on not only my family but my community around me and if i can donate and support Money is the driver of a lot of things. So if I can financially contribute, they can be better situated to then continue producing product and services that will benefit not just my loved ones, but other people around me.
0: Love that right now, just to be clear, when I ask that question for anybody watching or thing, I'm not saying I don't believe in giving. I mean, my theory is always you have to give to get. And the more you put out there, the more that returns, as long as you're not putting out there expecting the return. Like if you're right. only giving because you want something, it tends to never work out that way. But if you're doing it because you're a giving person, then that's usually when uh, things pan out. Now, my question was because we all have different uh, things that trigger us that makes it uh, like we all have different reasons why we want to help somebody out or 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 donate or or move in a certain direction, right? So I was trying to find your motivation like behind that. <laughs>
1: Yeah, just simply grateful for everybody who, who supported me in the past. Everything happened for a reason for me to be here today. And I'm just exactly. extremely grateful for that.
0: Love that. So in light of time, I'm going to get down to two last questions before I go into what I call the lightning round. Second last question is going to be, how do you know you've had a successful day?
1: Oh, geez, I can go to sleep right away.
0: Love that. Last but not least, where do people find you?
1: Oh yeah. So we have, uh, several ways to find us on social media. We are on Instagram at WNN properties. And if you found my story was intriguing, you're interested in knowing more about our investment style and strategy. And I'd like to give you a free gift. If you go to our website, why not now in real estate.com, you can download your free PDF.
0: Love that. So now first question of the lightning round is going to be one of my favorite questions. And, uh, I showed you my gut, you would know why. Um, <laughs> what is your uh, favorite food? Oh, I love pizza. Uh, yeah, I can see why. It's got a, a little bit of everything. Yeah. You know? I mean, especially, you know, it's got some veggies on there. It's got some uh, meats and um, and anything else you want. So, yeah, just the fact Pretty that it much. has a lot of bread, that doesn't mean <laughs> anything. <laughs> uh, favorite uh, vacation spot and why?
1: Oh, geez. Fa- favorite vacation spot was Tahiti. Is our, our our honeymoon.
0: Ah okay, gotcha. Favorite podcast or book?
1: Oh my favorite book is Extreme Ownership. Jocko Willick and Leaf Babin. Interesting. Two navy SEAL dudes, man. They're legit.
0: Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah that's that's yeah sounds interesting. Um last but not least if you had forty eight hours no sorry if you got unlimited amount of money but you only had 48 hours to spend it. And then what you don't spend gets taken away. What -hmm. you do spend, you get to keep. What would you do? I would do
1: exactly what my 10 year vision is, is I'd give away 90% and I'd spend the 10% on whatever me and my wife and my family feel we need.
0: absolutely love that. I want to say thank you so much for being on the show.
1: Thank you, John. It was a pleasure.
0: If you like what you saw and you want to see more episodes, subscribe to the link below.